This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everybody. I'm Sess Busby, editor of Flying Solo. Welcome to our weekly podcast, where we step inside the minds and lives of soloists and small business owners. Transformation expert, productivity hacker, inventologist, singer, Evelina Barani wears lots of hats. But when it comes to assisting businesses to be more creative and embrace transformation, well, she's an expert. She drops by Flying Solo today to share how creativity and problem solving go hand in hand and why innovation should be part of your everyday, plus how collaboration is key to growth. Evelina, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's wonderful to be here. Excellent. Now, um, just for a little bit of background for our listeners, could you tell them a little bit about your role at Inventium? Absolutely. So we've got um, a funny title, actually. Inventiologist uh, is what we call ourselves. It's a mixture of our roots where we started off in the um, innovation space, but to do that, we use a lot of science. We bring lots of science and research into our roles. And we know that in the science field, we have titles like Scientologists, paleontologists, lots of ologists on the end. And so um, our founder, Dr. Amantha Imba, came up with inventiologists for our titles. Um, and many of us are psychologists. So I am also a psychologist and a um, pro-side change management practitioner um, at Inventium, where we do all things behavioural science. So in terms of for our listeners, what kind of... Um you will obviously probably work with a lot of big businesses and not so much the small businesses, but what are some of the, the trends that you might be seeing in your work with bigger businesses that would be applicable to small businesses as well? I think everyone is experiencing um, the pressure of more work to do and not enough time to do it in. And if you've been in that situation, you know that you only have so much capacity to get all of the work done. Um, And if we try to stretch that capacity, then it starts to spill over into our home life. And research also shows us that it starts to impact on our well-being. So we're experiencing or seeing a lot more burnout becoming prevalent um, in big and small businesses. And I think probably even more so in small businesses, because a lot of the pressure is on your shoulders um, in those smaller environments. Mm. So does that mean we need to change our approach to how we're doing business? Maybe, I don't know, think about more creative ways to get what we need done done, or take off some of the pressure and delegate some stuff? What, what would you be thinking? Absolutely. So what I would suggest is that we leverage all the brain science and psychology to help us to work in a way that is in accordance with how our individual brain works best to get the things that matter done faster. And if we can do the things that matter faster, then we leave time for all of the other special moments and all the joyous moments that replenish our energy and 
and give us strength in our lives, um, we have that time to invest in ourselves. Mm. Now, I was looking through the Inventium blog and I've read you're a big fan of singing. I am. (laughs) In my spare time, um, I do a lot of singing. And since joining Inventium, um, we had a challenge that we set internally as one of our team building kind of initiatives. One of our initiatives to build culture without four walls, because you might have read on there as well, we're a fully remote business. And so we have to come up with creative ways to maintain and enhance our cohesion and our culture as an organisation. So one of the things that we did was these big personal goals that we each set. Um, So some of us within six months had big personal goals for running a marathon. Some of us were learning Spanish. Um, Some had goals of reading an inordinate number of fiction and nonfiction books. For me, I had the personal goal of getting back into songwriting and singing because it was a passion of mine when I was a lot younger and my husband's 40th birthday was fast approaching. So I challenged myself to write and record a song for his 40th in a couple of months and that really got me back into singing and I've incorporated it more as a replenishment strategy now as well for my energy throughout the day. It helps to be working from home. Let me tell you, I wouldn't be doing this in an office. (laughs) Spontaneously bursting into song. (laughs) Yeah, at my desk, at my dishwasher, uh, in the shower. It happens a lot, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in terms of creativity then, why why is creativity such an important element of, of business? Creativity is important for innovation. So one of the things that um, Inventium specialises in is bringing the science to innovation. And in order for us to come up with new ideas, breakthrough ideas, disruptive ideas, you need that creativity. Singing for me is, is how I unleash my creativity. It's going to be different for everybody. But there are some awesome science-based techniques that you can use in order to lift your baseline of creativity. Because contrary to popular belief, only about 28% of our creativity is genetically predisposed. Yeah, that's an interesting point because a lot of people go, oh, I'm not creative, but creative means a lot of different things, and particularly when it, it applies to mindset as well. Absolutely. And we can leverage tools like um, introducing diverse stimulus So we, in our innovation workshops, we use a tool that we call Magaholic, and these are one-page articles um, that inspire us to look at innovation in different sectors, in different categories within the same industry, to, um, to inspire us to kind of think outside of the bounds that we normally would. So we would introduce these diverse, this kind of diverse stimulus in the form of magaholic articles as an ideation round to boost people's creativity rather than just using traditional brainstorming because as you can imagine you can brainstorm for a period of time but very quickly your mental cupboard becomes bare because we're used to thinking in the same way we're all in our own brains hopefully for most of the day and so uh, introducing this kind of stimulus helps us to think differently to, to how we normally would. Mm. So what do you mean exactly by diverse stimulus? 
So diverse stimulus can be anything. It's um, things that we introduce into our environment that help us to draw on the memories that are stored in our subconscious, that help bring those to the forefront of our cognitive processing and help those ideas bump together. So an example that I might use in a workshop of diverse stimulus is I would bring in um, lots of different items. So it could be plush toys, we could have posters on the walls, um, we've got coloured tablecloths, all of these sorts of things will trigger memories within people um, in alignment with whatever the challenge is that they're trying to solve in that ideation session. So for example, in one of my workshops many years ago, we were working with a safety organisation um, around increasing safety around the equipment that they were using. And one of the pieces of diverse stimuli that we had was a poster of the Eiffel Tower all lit up in the room because we were all in person for that. And that prompted one person to think of this idea of a ladder that if it wasn't properly positioned, if it wasn't safely positioned, then it would light up like the Eiffel Tower. And if the lights were off, then it meant that the ladder was positioned appropriately. And had we not introduce that piece of stimulus, then maybe that idea wouldn't have come to light because we're not used to thinking in those sorts of ways. So it could be items, it could be music. When I'm running virtual sessions, I introduce music from different cultures, uh, from lots of different genres. If, um, if we're lucky enough to be in a workshop together, you will hear my whole Disney portfolio along with my <laughs> <laughs> dancing mix, all of it, anything to bring all of the, the, the great creative juices that are hiding in our subconscious to the conscious. I was also, while I was looking at the blog, I um, read that interesting piece that you wrote about fear and mm-hmm. how fear can be also a great motivator because of when in those small bursts because it can really focus your mind. Could you explain that concept as well for our listeners? Sure. Uh, so fear, I think um, in the article we termed it Microdosing of fear, where in yeah. short bursts, <laughs> uh, in short bursts, because we um, we ignite cortisol within our systems, we bring our brain to attention. When we think of something scary, uh, maybe um, in my situation, standing in front of a group of two hundred people um, could bring a bit of fear. That will help to focus my attention momentarily on the task that I am doing. So I don't want to scare myself um, so that I start ruminating on that fear, but a small dose of fear can help bring that focus and attention because in the same way that you might um, in ancient times run away from a a saber-toothed tiger, we have that fight, flight, or there's now a freeze response. The fear helps to activate that kind of fight response, which which allows the brain to put attention on whatever the thing that needs our attention is. Mm. So if I wanted to use, uh, harness the power of fear mm-hmm. um, uh, and microdose myself with that, how would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I would suggest thinking about something. So if let's say that you're having difficulty focusing on a presentation that you're writing, you're writing a pitch and your attention is waning, it's coming to three o'clock, you really need a coffee, your chronotype suggests that right now is not the best time to be doing it, but this is the only time that you have available. So you might think about 
the last time you were in a scary situation. Maybe you've skydived. That might be something that you found um, fearful or challenging. Um, you So what we're wanting to do is not go to the point of scaring yourself so that you're then focusing just on that fear. So scary enough so that it inspires your brain to focus, but not so scary that now I'm thinking about uh, my mortgage and how I'm going to pay my bills next week and those sorts of things. So really those smaller doses of fear of, of what we're after. <laughs> I think everyone's got that mortgage fear at the moment. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. So let's yes. not use that self-fear. Uh, Squash that one back down. Yes. <laughs> and um, what about risk-taking? How much of innovation comes from taking risks? And how, as a small business owner, could I kind of manage risks more more effectively to help me progress and um, be more innovative perhaps in my my way of doing business yeah sure so risk taking and being open to failure is is really key to innovation Um, and there's a particular meta-analysis that was conducted that looked at what are all of the factors that are important to an organization or a business where innovation thrives and you're probably not surprised to know that Uh, openness to failure and risk-taking is up there in the top five. I think it's number five. Um, Because we can't come up with breakthrough ideas and disruptive ideas and implement them if we're not willing to take some kind of risks, if we're not willing to fail at least a little bit. So at Inventium, we like to reframe it and cognitive reframing is something that I would recommend that, that people do, is reframing failure to learning opportunities so we're failing in pursuit of learnings because we want small failures small failures are fine it means that we're learning lessons um, particularly when we're experimenting with ideas before we're implementing to de-risk them we want to be um, exploring our hypotheses and if we're not proving our hypotheses then they're small failures and we iterate our experiments every time Um, we do that. But what we're trying to avoid is colossal failures. You never want to be investing lots of time, money, resources, and then have something completely flop and for it to be a complete surprise. So a bit of risk-taking, a bit of failure is absolutely integral for innovation to, to thrive individually and in your business. Are there some kind of common myths or misconceptions that you find people have around innovation when you're you're beginning this process? The most common, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a myth, maybe it is a misconception, but when people are innovating, they assume that you start with the idea. So innovation starts with an idea. We've got an ideas platform. Come and submit all of your ideas. But actually that falls in the middle of what is a best practice innovation process. If we're coming up with ideas and we don't understand our customer or consumer, then we might run the risk, and this is where risk and failure are not a good thing because we haven't done the pre-work. We run the risk of implementing something or launching a new product or a service and not meeting the needs of our customer. So it's very, very important that this misconception is laid to rest Innovation does not start with ideas. It starts with strategy. It starts with then understanding our customers and what their needs are in association with our innovation strategy. 
before we even start coming up with ideas. Mm. So what would you suggest if I'm a business owner and I'm thinking, oh, I need to expand my product range? Practically, what would you suggest that they do? So I would first ask, why are you looking at expanding the product range? What, what job are you trying to get done for your customers? What are their needs that you're trying to meet? So step number one would be to go out and observe your customers if that's possible. Maybe it's online where you're looking at um, statistics um, or your analysis of web traffic and all those sorts, that sort of data. But ideally, you're going out and talking to your customers or your consumers. You're holding interviews. You've got a nice interview guide where you're trying to understand their process what brought them to to consume your products and services, but also with the non-consumers. We want to be understanding what's preventing them from coming to us as well because if we can help people to close the gap so everybody has a need um, that's not being met, if we can help them to close the gap or overcome any barrier that's standing in the way of them accessing our products and services, or future products and services, that's where the innovation magic happens. Um, So starting with uh, the question of how do I add more products to my service line, I would say that that's the wrong question. It should be, what is the need that I'm solving for? What's the job to be done? And you might be familiar with that Clayton Christensen's work, um, a former professor of Harvard Harvard University in the business school, uh, all of his stuff is an amazing place to start looking at the jobs to be done theory. Mm. Um, yeah, I think uh, finding that need and how to address that is probably in a nutshell kind of more the way to approach it rather than going out and thinking, oh, my competitor has nine products. I've only got two. I'd better make some more products. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Because if we're just looking at our competition, they might not be assessing the customer need either. So if we're just adding widgets for the sake of adding widgets and functions and just bolting things on, then the the risk is that both you and your competitor are going to miss the mark and we don't want to become irrelevant um, and then have have no customers to serve because we're not meeting their fundamental needs. Mm. What about um, resource constraints? Can that limit innovation or are there ways around that? So when we talk about resources, there are three different types. So you have people, you have time, and you have money. And we recommend that you leverage all three for innovation to work really well. But you don't need to have a massive innovation budget in order to do innovation because it could be incremental. So it could be your continuous improvement type innovation where you are improving upon an existing product or service all the way through to breakthrough and disruptive innovation, which takes you um, to broader heights and to potentially different areas um, within your business. But one way that you can approach the funding question is to use something like microfunding. So you have a pool of um, money that's available for innovation, and then we have people pay for learning. So when we're running those experiments, let's say, that we have our ideas, we've shortlisted a couple of ideas that we're potentially wanting to develop further. We want to run our experiments around those ideas. We've got our hypotheses, we're building the experiments and we're analysing them. What we can do is fund firstly 
those experiments, just testing those hypotheses, building those minimum viable products. Uh, and these are not a light version of the final product. This is just a way for us to test some of those hypotheses that we have around Will our customers even want this idea? And it could be as simple as using, you know, markers and a poster or coming up with a mock-up on, um, on your website. We like to call them imperfect landings where you, you would see that a lot of organizations, a lot of companies do this now is they will have a product launched on their website. They've got the design for it. You click on the buy it now button and it says, thanks for your interest. We actually haven't developed this yet. And that gives you a sense of whether you should be progressing with that idea. So that is not going to take that much money with the technology that we have available to us now, rather than going out and developing the product in full and launching it only to realise that maybe it's not hitting the mark. Mm. And how important is collaborating um, in terms of driving innovation? Should you be getting, you know, the buy-in of your staff? How how much of um, the innovation process should be shared amongst your yourself and your teams? Yeah, and that comes back to the definition of innovation that we like to use. So we say that innovation is change that adds value and that means that anybody in the business that adds value or creates change can do innovation. This isn't just the role of one person. It's not the CEO's responsibility or the head of innovation that's doing this, it's really important to be as collaborative as possible, especially at that front end where we're identifying our customer needs because your people who are on the front lines, they're in customer service roles, they're interacting with your customers, they're going to have the best understanding of what those needs are, where your current products and services fall short in order to be able to feed that into the rest of your innovation process. So, and obviously from a change management perspective, no change happens in a business without leadership support and without sponsorship. So we need everybody beating on the same drum through the whole organisation for innovation to really take off. Mm. So would there, be, um, would there be like any kind of process you would recommend business owners um, do to, in order to make sure that everyone is on the same page when they're trying to initiate you know, something new into their business? Uh, I think a good place to start is to have a look at the ProSci methodology. Um, And I'm a bit biased because I am ProSci certified, um, but a lot of the change management approaches and practices that form part of that methodology are based in research and science as well. So in there, um, you would have things like communication plans. We need to build awareness about... um, innovation being important. We need to build capability and train people in how to actually innovate. Um, We need to have active and visible sponsorship, not just lip service being paid to innovation. So there are a couple of things that I would suggest, but first and foremost, we know that if a new initiative like the introduction of innovation into the business doesn't have that sponsorship, it's not going to go very far. So I would always say start with um, having an active and visible sponsor that has seniority, that has status in the business and the respect of of your people um, to make sure that they are fully on board with the initiative. Mm. And what about the role of AI? Because I know a lot of people 
are super excited about the way AI can impact and change their business. And yet then on the flip side, there's a lot of people that are quite fearful of it. Yes, there are a lot of people who are stressed out about AI. And this is why we recently ran a masterclass um, on using AI to enhance productivity. And and a lot of the, the resources that are out there now, what they reiterate, I think it was in the one of the IBM reports that said this first, is that AI is going to augment roles, not replace roles, at least in the short to medium term. So for us to be on the front foot, we need to be understanding AI, building our own AI capability so that we can continue to be productive, enhance Um, ourselves in our roles and those that don't will unfortunately be left behind so it's not about AI replacing all of us it's about supplementing us and helping us to automate some of the more administrative tasks um, that maybe we enjoy less um, or we could just be getting done faster through through using particularly generative AI. And that could be quite transformative for a lot of small business owners who, as you say, are very busy and juggling a lot of different tasks and multiple roles, like harnessing that that power of AI. Absolutely. And we at Inventium, we love Claude uh, 2 um, because it seems to hallucinate a lot less. So we use it for proofing um, some of our website copy. We get it to review research articles for us. You can um, upload PDFs of research articles and then query that as if you were speaking to a friend. Um, There's lots of AI tools that have been embedded into the Microsoft suite now as well. So I think for small business owners, um, it's going to be absolutely necessary. If you would like some time sleeping in your day as well as working, <laughs> then um, AI is going to be and a singing. Friend. And singing, yes. We need to find time for singing. Let's use AI to automate all the stuff that we don't want to do so that we have time to do the stuff that we love. <laughs> and um, finally, like when it comes to innovation, what should we be tracking? Are there, are there you know, KPIs or metrics that we should be tracking when we're thinking about innovation in our business? We definitely need to be looking at metrics. As Peter Drucker has said, and we're probably all familiar with, what gets measured gets managed, right? Um, But we don't want to just be measuring outputs. So sometimes what we see in businesses is um, we implemented these ideas and they were successful. Um, But then what happens when you launch a new product and it fails what data are you going to draw on to know why that happens we also need to look at these input metrics so what we suggest is looking at a um, a best practice innovation process and, and taking stock of what sorts of things are we doing how many customers have we spoken to um, how many jobs to be done have we identified How many ideation sessions have we run? How many ideas have come out of that? How many have we shortlisted? How many experiments have we run? Because if we are not feeling like an innovative business and we look at all these things and they say zero, well, that's probably why. We're not talking to our customers. We don't have a strategy. We're not having ideation sessions. Um, So having those input and output metrics really important. 
Mm. So how would you make a start if innovation is is very foreign to the way that you regularly do business? Is it uh, that going back to the customer piece? How would I start? Um, talk to Inventium. No, um, I would start... <laughs> I would start by doing the research. There is so much research that is available out there. And even on the Inventium website, we've got something called Inventium Labs. And in there is lots of information about how to run experiments, what innovation is. There is a lot. You just need to make a start. Be clear on what your definition of innovation is, because if we're not defining it, then it's very hard to do it. Um, and being clear that it's it's everybody's role. It's not just one person's role. So what are we focusing on? Are we doing continuous improvement? We're just tweaking things around the edges. Or do we have a strategy to do something big? But yeah, um, or my answer will always be go to the research and, and do things in accordance with what science says is going to be most effective and efficient. Because we want innovation that's sustainable, right? We want it to be predictable. We don't want these one-hit wonders. Mm. And there, there is nothing wrong with a um, continuous improvement in terms of an attitude for a business. I mean, that is kind of pushing innovation anyway, isn't it? It is. And that in most organisations, that is 70% of the innovation that they do. It's incremental. 20% of it is breakthrough, where we're still focusing on our core services, but we're introducing a step change, maybe a new delivery channel or targeting new customers, and only 10% of it is disruptive. So I think that that's, that would be another myth around innovation. It's, it's not just all of the big bang disruptive stuff, the new technology. Actually, technology doesn't have to have anything to do with it. It's an enabler. Mm. Thank you so much, Evelina. Thanks for your time this morning. It's been a fascinating chat. Thanks so much for having me. Ah, thank you.